Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female, he created them. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would illuminate this passage of Scripture to our hearts. I pray that you'd open up our eyes. Even as I was reading right there, I just saw something new. And I ask that you would uh, cause us to see us the way that you see us. I I pray that you would cause us to see um, our purpose the way that you've uh, designed us to be, Lord. I pray that uh, we would function in that capacity and that we would have life. I pray in all areas of our lives, Lord, you would be our creator. You would reign and rule as the one who, who saw us and put us into being by your very word. Thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We ask that you'd bless the time in your word. Amen. So we, over the last uh, couple weeks, we've been going over Genesis chapter 1. Don't worry, we will kick it into second gear here pretty soon. Uh, what I really enjoy is just observing how God is bringing chaos into order. We live in a universe now that is going from order to disorder as a result of sin and the fall. Yet, we see God wants to take disorder and chaos and bring it into order and to, and to create an environment for life. God wants you to live and not just a heartbeat. He wants you to have a thriving life. But our definition of life is often quite different from what he, the designer, what his idea of life is supposed to be. And so I'm praying that as we go through Scripture, we see, oh, that's what you mean by life. Oh, that's what you mean by this or that. And that we would conform our hearts and our ways to his ways. And as we walk in his paths that he sets out for us in Scripture, we experience life. A wor- uh, the Word of God, David proclaimed, is a light unto my uh, feet, you know, uh, is a light unto my path. You know, it's, 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 it's a way that we can see how we're supposed to walk in this life that is contrary to God's way, contrary to God's kingdom. It's hard to do that in the, life, in the world we live in, isn't it? Because we have culture hitting us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, we have broken humanity, broken relationships, uh, broken ways of dealing with each other and with the world around us. Yes, we do the best we can, right? Not to say there aren't glimpses of God's grace throughout everything. But in general, we live in a fallen world a broken, fallen world that needs direction, it needs guidance, it needs, needs God, the one who made it in the first place to function in a certain way uh, according to his will, and that's how we're supposed to live. But as we, as we look at this process from God taking, uh, taking chaos in, into, uh, into order, day one, he created light. What a wonderful thing, Amen. Day two, he creates this atmosphere, which is consistent of a, a water canopy 
and then sky, and then, and then earth. And so below that water canopy was that vault, or that word firmament, or sky. That literally means a stretched expanse. And so God's creating an atmosphere conducive to life. And so you have this big bowl of, bowl of water with a space in between it and a water canopy around it. God is creating this amoeba-like thing. He's, he's separating it. He's dividing. He's forming. He's shaping on day two. And then day three, God gathers the waters on the earth into one place, and he creates sea and dry land. I like that because that makes it possible for fish to live and for birds, which he creates on day four. Well, actually, on day four, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars, right? For times and for seasons and to divide the light from the darkness. We have tides and all these wonderful things we get from the moon. Day five, God creates the birds of the air and the creatures of the sea. And again, they have variety from the beginning. He talks about that according to their kind. When you look out and, you know, you look at the different types of birds and their beaks and all these types of things, uh, you know, as, I, as Darwin did, I just marvel at God's creation, the variety he creates. And within the genetic code, within those species, to be able to change and to, and to, and to adapt to their culture, or to their environment. Now, that does not mean a bird becomes a dog. Birds are birds, and they will always be birds. And it's the emphasis here in chapter 1 is that there are various kinds according to their kinds, and within those kinds, there's great variety, great color, great expression. Look around the room. You guys have different kinds of beaks. I can see it. <laughs> different kinds of eyes, different skin colors. What variety that God started with two people, all within that genetic code. And as certain people in certain populations, and we'll get to that when you get the Hem, Shem, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, they tend to populate in different places. People start to look like what those pairings are. And so, yes, you have the African continent, you have the Asian continent, you have the European continent. You have these different varieties. God is amazing. I love it creates the birds of the air and creatures of the sea on day five and on six which is where we are we're on six b so like six we're probably like three thirty in the afternoon here on on uh day six but it, it it begins and it says let man produce living creatures according to their kinds uh oh, sorry let the land sorry let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds the the livestock the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals each according to its kind repetition there. And so according to the scriptures, the birds of the air, the creatures of the sea, and the land, and land were all created with great variety. They were not the process of evolution. And God created every different kind of creature from the beginning, and he anticipated the falsehood of evolution, and he lets us know that from the beginning, it was his idea to create this beautiful world that we live in with great variety of living things. And, and as we've seen God's creative process, he brings this order out of chaos. He's creating an environment for, for life to dwell. 
the vegetation, then fish and the birds, and then the mammals, and now we get to us. I love it. Verse 26, this special creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I'm going to read it again. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice that first phrase there, let us. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Who is he talking to? Theologians wonder all the time, what in the world is he talking about? Is he talking to the angels, some people think? Because the angels were around at creation. Let us make man in our image. So people try to go, well, he's talking about the angels. They're all hanging out, and he's saying, hey, you know, let us create. Obviously, angels don't create anything. But because of that, some people say, well, he's using uh, something called a majestic plural, which is basically like, hey, when the queen says, hey, let us have lunch, what's she saying? (laughs) I'm going to have lunch. But I find it interesting, as we are just reading right now, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And then you go to the very last verse. It says, verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female. It's not the angels who are t- participating in creation. He was speaking, what I believe is this is hinted, hinting towards the Trinity. We see that with the word Elohim. I am, plural, God, in the very first verse. In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth, yet the scriptures clearly declare God is one God. And yet, he's revealed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each participating in creation. And this is what uh, many people call the... the the, Trin- uh, the council of the Holy Trinity. God, the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, let's make, let's make God in our image. The creation of mankind is unique above all creation in that man alone is created in the image of God. This is very important. No animals were created in the image of God. Man was created in the image of God. We are separate from any other creation. We might look like other animals, you know? There might be similar characteristics, but God says this is a special creation. You are not those. You are created in my image. What does that mean in my image? Well, obviously when we think of image, we think of you know, the body. But there's so much more to that because in John, I think it was four or somewhere right there, it says that it's probably, it's, well, my guess is it's, it's not talking about a physical image. I'm not talking about a physical image. And again, you've got to take this stuff and bounce it off uh, your scripture. But in John 4.24, it says that God is spirit. That God is spirit. And we're not created in the, in the physical image of God. God is invisible, it says in, in Colossians 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.17, Hebrews 11.27. Well, that makes me think, well, then what about Jesus? Well, Jesus, in his eternal state, a little different. He became in the likeness of man. He's the God-man. He came down and became one of us. 
he took the form of a human. Pretty interesting. Always together there. That does not mean that, uh, that we are created in his image. But I, I would say, and, and this is again me speculating here, that we are in the body that best express that spirit of God. If God were to take flesh, it would look like us. And guess what? It did. That's Jesus Christ. You want to know what God looks like? You look to Jesus Christ. You know? Jesus himself starts saying, hey, no man has seen God at any time, but hey, guess what? I have revealed him. I am him. This is what Jesus was saying. Do I understand all this theologically? Oh, yes. I understand every single aspect of the Trinity. You have to understand something in order for it to be true. No. It's what it teaches. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing there. But as I look at it, so it's probably not talking about a, a physical form. But if we could boil it down, being created in the image of God has three aspects to it. And if you're taking notes, this is good to write down. The personal image, the moral image, and the spiritual or social image, okay? This is kind of the, the three aspects that, that uh, I think a lot of men and women who've studied the scriptures have kind of said, you know what? This is kind of what this, the scriptures say about how we reflect God, how God is imprinted upon us, how, how, how we are like him, in, made in his image. Um, first, we're made in the personal image of God. What does that mean? Well, per, our personalities express knowledge and feelings and will, don't they? Our personalities allow us to express who we are. Anyone? Yeah. Like God, we can design, we can plan, we can communicate, we can reason and have a will and we have feelings. We can evaluate things, whether they're good or not. Like God. So in this way, we can see God expresses the att- these attributes of his, his own in chapter 1. His personality, his knowledge, his planning his like or dislike of something, obviously, and he created it, and he said what? It was good. You guys, we're like that all the time. We plan, we think, we reason, we evaluate, we have feelings about things. I know we have feelings about things. Amen? The personal image of God. Well, we're also created in moral creatures. We have morality. This is not something animals have. They are trained, obviously, with responses. They know, like, okay, do that and I get food. Don't do that, I don't. I know we try to personify animals and we make them more than they really are. But like God, we're able to make moral judgments. We have a conscience, don't we? We are created with a sense of accountability to God. We have a conscience. We, when we do right, our heart assures us, right? When we do wrong, our heart condemns us, as 1 John 3.20 says, 20 Romans 8.1 as well. Leviticus 5.1 talks about our conscience, our conscience, right? It talks about, it illustrates how the conscience works in, in now this fallen world. And it talks about when you've actually done something and you didn't know, but then you find out, uh-oh, something's wrong, and you feel this thing called guilt. 
God put that in us. Now, we know that that's broken, right? And we've got, we've got to work through that. But we know little kids, they're, they're awesome. You know, they, they know when they've done something wrong and they start, oh gosh, what's going on in my heart? We get callous towards that stuff, right? We, we keep pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off, and our hearts become hard against God and against what is right and true and good. But look at a little child, how they respond. Yes, they're little centerlings, we know this. But beautiful how God has put that in them. Eve, in the garden, she knew what was right and wrong. What did she base that upon? Was there a written law? Was there anything going on then? What God, what he said. That's how she knew right from wrong. What God said. And when that started to be challenged, she knew but she became deceived. Adam actually willfully sinned. But her conscience was based on what God had told her. So we're people of the law, are we not? We're created in the moral image of God. And lastly, we're created in a spiritual or social image. And let me just throw this out there. The word spirit and soul in, in Scripture, it's interchanged. It's, it overlaps all the time. It's like, I think sometimes you try to say, well, the spirit part's the, tri- the, the part that that uh, relates to God, and that yes, that's true. And the, and the soul is kind of the one that relates to one another. They're all mixed up together, okay? So when we say, uh, when we say you're made in the spiritual or social image, it's just, it's a merging of these things. We're created in this, in this, uh, in the same way God is, because this, listen to this, God is a God of love, is he not? God is love. And his love is, is essential in his nature. This is the expression of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you see them, they love. They demonstrate it in their actions. That is who they are. Man, in God's image, was created as a spiritual and social creature. We are created to do what? To love. We were created to express that just as our, creator, uh, as our creator is. It's in our nature to communicate this love to God through worship and through the vehicle of relationship to one another. Amen? That's what you were created for. You were created for relationship with God and one another. It's in our nature to express this love as we interact with each other. This is why Adam was given a wife right away. What did God say in chapter 2? It is not good that man should be alone. Why is it not good? He is not able to express who God has created him to be. To be able to give selflessly. To be able to express how God expresses. This is what is in each one of us. This capacity to love, you were created for it. We were designed to share our love with God and with one another. And for this reason, Adam is given a wife. Obviously, we've talked about that. God gave man the command, as he will repeat in a moment, to multiply and fill the earth, creating families, creating this social environment, creating these, these cities of people and all this stuff that, that would fill the earth with people, communicating God's love to one another, interacting with one another, meeting one another's needs. I know it's utopian. But this is what God 
God's intent, his design for us was. Isn't it great to be able to give someone love? Doesn't it just meet a need in your heart when you give that? It's, it's deeply within each one of us to be able to give love. Sin got in the way, and it's difficult, isn't it not? But what happens when you receive love? What does it do to your heart? We long for it. We long for those acts of kindness. We long for that affirmation. We long for these things. God created you for that. To receive and to give it. There isn't a place you go on the earth, except for maybe some metropolitan places in the United States, where people don't worship. Just joking there. But we all worship something don't we? We're designed for it. We're created in the image of God to give, to receive love. And obviously all the complexities that come with that, all the attributes and the variety of how that's expressed. You know, so when you get to the New Testament and he says, hey, this is true and undefiled, uh, undefiled religion to take care of the widows and the orphans, what is that an expression of? love. And in the context of that society, that was how those people were to express it because it was filled with orphans and widows. How are we to express love in this society, in this, in this context? Yes, orphan and widows, obviously. But do you see that? Helping those who can't help themselves is giving. And so man was created in the image of God, both personal, moral, and Spiritual and social, those two put together. Mankind is a special creation. We are not animals, nor did we come from animals. We are unique, created in the image of God, both male and female. Both male and female. Amen? Both sexes are made in the image of God. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, hey, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living thing. Right? And God commanded Adam and Eve to have lots and lots of kids. Subject we all love to talk about in church, sex, right? So if you have little ears, plug your ears because I got to talk. Fill the earth and subdue it. For some reason, we think that Sex is our idea. Anyone? We think it's our idea. I'm sorry. God created sex. He created. It was his design. He created the anatomy. He created the emotions. He created the chemistry. He created all of it. His idea. What does that tell you about God? He's pretty, pretty creative, isn't he? And he put that within Adam and Eve. Do you know that God blesses sex? It says it right there in verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, they were blessed 
Because God gave that to him. (laughs) He blessed them. He said, man, go for it. Go have lots of kids. Go love each other. Now, in the context of chapter 1, it's different than chapter 2. Chapter 1, the context is God creating things that reproduce within themselves and fill the earth, right? That is the context of chapter 1. And so what's he talking about with man and woman in chapter 1? Is he talking about leaving your mother and father and all these types of things? That's chapter 2 when he deals with man. He gets more into detail. One is about filling the earth. So he's saying, hey, my design for you is that you go have kids and you fill this place. So reproduction is, is, you know, is not the only reason for sex, right? And we're going to read that about in, in chapter 2. But the context of chapter 1, again, is creation and filling the earth. And so sex is blessed by God, who designed it and who designed us. Sex is blessed by God. I love that. When it is between a man and a woman who are married to each other. I have to add those disclaimers these days. Outside of the relationship of marriage between a man and a woman, sex is not blessed by God. It is not. It might feel like it, but it is not. And that is the deceitfulness of sin. Feels great for a day, but in the end it leads to death. We have gone far from this in our culture, and the Bible has a lot to say about it, especially the teachings in the New Testament. The New Testament calls sin outside of marriage, uh, calls uh, sex outside of marriage, fornication. Not a word we're, we're kind of familiar with these days, but fornication, sex outside of marriage, any context. Calls sex outside of, of one married person with someone other than their husband or wife. That's called adultery in Scripture. Adultery. God says, hey, no, not my design. Not before marriage, not outside of marriage, not while you're married with someone else, not what I designed you for. Off limits. The New Testament calls sex between two people the same, uh, same sex, homosexuality. Off limits. Sin. This is what the New Testament teaches about these types of activities. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, write it down. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, that's the word for fornicators, nor the idolaters, why is that stuck in the middle? Nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, this is a word that means both men and women, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Period. Not my words. New Testament. How does that sit with our culture? How does that sit within our church? Boy, that's old-fashioned, that's stuffy, that's... I'm sorry, you are arguing with God. Who designed the thing and who set up parameters so that you'd be blessed with it. He wants you to be blessed with this. 
but outside the context of what he created you for, it is not blessed and it is sin. And God says that those who practice that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I don't care what the, what the scriptures say about, uh, you know, once saved, always saved, all that stuff. I can't argue this is what it says. You wrestle with that, okay? You can't squeal, you know, work our way out theologically of all these things. This is what he says. And it's permeating our culture, and it's permeating the church. So sex outside of marriage, which is a man and a woman, by the way, between a man and a woman, sex outside of that is sin, and God declares that those who live like that, you know, hey, man, you're not going to hear the kingdom of God. But some people will say, well, hey, look at the animals, right? What about the manatee? What about all these other th- these animals that, you know, don't have one, one mate for life, correct? What happens if, uh, you know, you know, one squirrel has like seven wives, you know, and all this stuff, or I'm just, I'm serious. And and it is a, (laughs) sorry guys. But this is the, this is what I hear when I'm talking with people about uh, homosexuality or about, you know, not having many partners and all these types of things. And friends, I'm not trying to condemn anybody here, Okay. I'm trying to lead you to, to what God says about it, okay, so that you'll, know, you'll be blessed. Does everybody hear me? You know, I want to read the verse after that, after this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10, in just a minute. And someone, will you turn there, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10? We'll read the verse in, the, in its total context in just a minute. But listen up. Some people look to the animal kingdom as an excuse for how to live. Listen, animals were not created in the image of God. We are taught that we are animals. We are not animals. We are created in the image of God. We are a separate creation, a special creation. I do not look, listen everybody, I do not look to the animal kingdom and how to conduct any part of my life especially something as critical as sex. The animal kingdom is not our example. What animals do is what animals do. We are accountable to God for what we do and what he's called us to. So I go to God, my designer, who made, it, who made me in his image for these things. And this is what we should do. God, the author and the creator of sex, warns us that engaging in a lifestyle that uses sex in a way that was not, it was not created for, look out. Look out. And how many of us have been bitten by it? Just me. Okay. <laughs> Again. <laughs> But if we are married to our spouse of the opposite sex, man, your sex is blessed. It is blessed by God. Now you got to work through a bunch of junk because of sin, amen? And because of all the other things that happened B.C., before Christ or during whatever. But one man, one woman for life, no other people involved. 
you just figure everything out together. That's what God wants. That's what he designed you for. No other competition, no other worries, no, none of this, none of that. Learning to love one another. A lifelong process. That's what he designed us for. That's not what we do. And so why, don't we, why aren't we satisfied in this area of our life? Are we looking at it through God's plan or are we looking at it through the way man looks at it? Time to reprogram because the designer says, you're not working according to code. This is not working. It's not going to fulfill you. You're going to have all these dysfunctions. You're going to have all these problems and diseases and things that are going on in your lives because that is not what I've called you to. That is not what I've called you to. I've called you to blessing. And I've created this as a gift for you. I want you to have it, and I want you to be blessed. But listen, there's more reasons behind the limitations that God puts on this. Why is it just between Mary and Peter? Why can't I do whatever I want? There's a bigger picture. In your own time, I want you to do this. Look in scriptures and look at the picture of Christ in the church, which is the bride of Christ. Look at Israel. And why is it when Israel goes off and worships false idols that she is called what? An adulterer. So why is that word idolatry stuck right in the middle of fornication and adultery? Because when you give the deepest part of yourself away to something that is ungodly, you are an idolater. I am an idolater. Do you understand that? And God is saying, no, that is not what I've called you to. I want you to have the best. And that works my way, not your way. So there's a reason that word is put there. Because sex outside of marriage is idolatry. It's going after another God, so to speak. It draws our hearts away from our Creator. And so if you're in any type of relationship outside of marriage between your spouse of the opposite sex, you are in sin. And you're in danger of what this passage reads. I encourage you to repent and to turn today to God. Return to the Lord. Really quickly, I want to read this passage in its context. Did someone open there? And is a Gary? Would you read that um, all the way through, but to pass the version, the part that says, and you were washed? So. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Grace. That was what some of you were, but you were washed. Yes! The blood of Jesus can fix anything. Amen? And that is what God at Spirit, He's calling us to. I love it. And so God blessed them and He said, Hey! Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature. I want you to go for it. And we'll have to pick up there next week, okay? 
I'm sorry, we only got a few verses, so it's weird, but time's up. It's like we're actually four minutes after. When you talk about the subject, everybody's like, <laughs> you should see, y'all, oh, you're fun. <laughs> How do you think difficult it is up here? <laughs> so let's, let's stand together. And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for our church that you purchased with your blood. God, will you cleanse her and make her holy and pulled out of the world, Father, and into your blessing? Any areas, Lord, that are not of you within this body, we ask, Lord, that you would address with your grace and your love. Lord, we are all been under condemnation, Lord. But Jesus, he says that you came over into the world to save it, not to condemn it, because it was condemned already. So save, Lord Jesus, save. And Father, we thank you for pulling us out of the pit, for making us pure because of the blood of Jesus. And I ask that as we go forward, we would walk in your image, and that we would reflect your image as we go forward. In the name of Jesus, amen.